755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome. 755 is real. Off-season editions continue. Eric, hey man, what's up out in Seattle? Uh, it's nothing. Just got back from uh, Cabo last night. Mexico. Yeah. A little warmer down there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awesome. But we ran into a, I went down with a group of friends and we ran into a, a group of football players from Nebraska. So it kind of just turned into a, like a five day party. <laughs> My wife's, you know, she's, when she's at home, she's just straight laced and everything. But you get her away from the kids and out of the house, she just turns into the devil. Hey now. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I'm grinding a little bit this morning, but it was a good trip. Well, you would. Uh, we had a light dusting of snow here at parts of Atlanta this morning. Believe it or not, no First way. Really cold weather we've had all year. Everybody all, panic. All nah, it didn't start sticking. So shows up on the weather app though. Um, so anyway, yeah, they're gonna have the chop fest this weekend out at uh, at the ballpark. And I don't know if the Rays don't make a move between now and then. There's going to be some disgruntled fans talking to Alex when he does his little session with the fans there. But listen, the Braves are still in need of a big bat, either to hit cleanup or hit somewhere else in the top of the order, I think, and perhaps allow Acuna to move back to cleanup if they don't have any better options. I love Acuna in the leadoff spot. Let's make that clear. I don't like him moving anywhere else. But uh, as things stand right now, if you don't get a, you know, uh, an obvious cleanup guy. Say if you went and got a Marte, starting maybe Cunha is the best option at cleanup, and you have somebody else bat lead off. I don't know, but uh, meanwhile, this Nolan Arenado drama is heating up in Colorado, which is why I brought it up. Uh, I still think it's far. It's it's a long shot at best for the Braves, but it's leading plenty of Braves fans to understandably hold out hope that the price might come down and the embarrassed Rockies front office, their general manager might trade him for the best deal they can get this winter, rather than risk having Arenado continue making comments about being disrespected. What do you think, man? Well, yeah, but it's tough. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. When you see a guy start saying that you don't say that stuff as a player, unless you, yeah, you're trying to force the issue and you want out. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, it's not good. It's not good for them. You know, if he's a free agent, I could see someone signing him to that deal. He's how old is he? He's twenty eight. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. I, oh, the deal was very reasonable, especially when uh, you know the given the the Trout and Machado's deal and fuck, uh, Bryce Harper's deal. I mean, I'd rather have Arenado than Bryce Harper ten times. Easy. Yeah. Uh, and it's not even close. Yeah. If anybody's worth it outside of Trout, you could argue that it's, you know, well, Arenado's not the second guy I'd take, but he's in that, like, five He's or top so, five you know, or ten, the, and you don't even have to think about it. You know that. Yeah, given how great he is on both sides of the ball. I mean, I'd rather have, say, Lindor, but uh, there aren't many. There aren't many you'd rather have. Would you rather have him over Donaldson? Yes, obviously. Right. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Just because the age, man. Right. So – Age and better defense. As great as Donaldson's defense was last year, Arenado plays that level or above every year. Right. So there's no doubt. There's no doubt he'd be great. He'd be huge for the Braves. He'd be a huge get for the Braves. But yeah. So what's the hold up at this point? (laughs) Is still too much. Is still for the Braves for reasons we've discussed before. you know, they're still a mid-market team, despite what people want it to be. They're still a team with a $140, $150 million payroll. 
Freddie's extension's coming up. They're going to give him $25 million or more a year. Arenado, even if they have, if you get the Rockies to pay down some of that contract, then I can't see him paying down a lot. I think I'm, I could see them asking for fewer prospects maybe getting back. But uh, with Freddie getting 25 or so million, Arenado and him would make $60 million a year on a payroll of, you know, maybe 150 160 going up to, maybe 170 in a few years. That's still a lot, 130 of payroll, you know. More than 130 of payroll for uh, two guys, 40% of your payroll. Um, 50% of your payroll. <laughs> yeah. Nah, it'd, be, it'd be about 40, 30, 40. But the, the, the other bigger issue, man, beyond the money, is that the Braves, because of these uh, restrictions that people forget they have with their international free agents, these young teen prospects that other teams sign, big time free agents down in, uh, you know, most in the Dominican, 16, 17 years old, the Braves haven't been able to dabble in that market for two years, and they won't for another couple of years because of the restrictions they got slapped with after the uh, copy scandal, you know, the, the international free agent scandal. So, they're going to start to feel that they are already in the lower minors where they don't have top prospects now. All their best prospects really are in the upper minors now, and there's going to be a gap in their system where they really have great young prospects unless they're just guys they got in the draft. You got to totally rely on the draft to replenish those. So, you know what I mean. So they can't really afford to blow out two, three, four top prospects to get Arenado. You know, in my opinion. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. You'd never think that you'd have to pay down a dollar on this guy's contract either, you know, just just as good as he is. But Yeah, one year into that extension that he got. But the Rockies are in a bad spot, man, because of what he's saying. Is that the reason they initially entertained trading him was was his kind of disdain for the GM? Or was it, you know, where'd that come from in the first place? The initial – initially, it was the comment that he made last – late last uh, uh, fall when he said, this feels like a rebuild. You know, but that was just in the midst of like a five minute, 10 minute interview he did, you know, where he said, you know, some things along the lines of, uh, but we've got young players that, you know, you kind of guys, you need to step up in a rebuild and, 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 uh, pick it up and fill in the gaps. So in other words, it wasn't all pessimistic and he wasn't saying trade me, but that was the comment that drew all the, uh, uh, attention and that's when they started, you know, at least letting it be known they would listen. But then, you know, he heard those trade rumors. So that kind of yeah. fueled. Now he's saying, now he's, you know, the, the the worst thing the Rockies could have done was not just shut it down. They should have just shut it down at the start of the offseason and said, we're not trading Nolan Arenado. He's our franchise. And that would have solved all this. But they didn't. You know how GMs say, hey, you know, you never you never just want to say no. You got to hear, listen to what's out there. And he's not the kind of guy that wanted to hear that. So that's where we are. That's wild how something could spin out of control like that. Exactly. Exactly. And it kind of makes you appreciate a guy like uh, Anthopolis who keeps everything tight, you know, to the close to the chest and and close to the vest and doesn't uh, let it be known if they're, you know, listening on guys, you know, that kind of thing. And Freddie Freeman. He'll just say it in general. He says it in general terms. Freddie just wore that rebuild. How about that, man? You know, with it makes no, you no really drama. appreciate a guy like Freddie. Yeah, never complained, and and everybody kind of baited him too. Said along the lines of, uh, you know, which if you had known this going in when you signed that extension, if you know in ten months later they were going to start a rebuild, would you have uh, signed it? He was asked that directly many <laughs> times, and he never gave any hint of being dissatisfied. So that's a team dude right there, man. That's not easy to do. Now, 
I don't think I could have done it. So Arenado, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Or maybe the price tag of Chris Bryant comes down once the arbitrator rules, as we believe he will, that he has two years of team control until free agency and not one, which is what Bryant and his agent are trying to get with that grievance they filed. That's supposed to be heard any day now, decided upon any day now. So we'll see. Or maybe the guy I threw out there, Starling Marte, becomes a doable and much more affordable option for the Braves both in terms of salary commitment and the prospect capital it would take to get him, Pirates outfielder. He could hit anywhere in the top half of that lineup. He's going to give you, you know, 20, 25 homers, 20, 30 steals. Guys who play solid D at any of the outfield positions. He's not going to hit, be a guy that's a formidable cleanup guy that protect Freddie Freeman, but he's hit there and he's hit well there. So he could hit there or he could hit leadoff or he could hit wherever he needed him to hit. So, just some options, you know, because they still need to get a bat to me. They, they've got to get a bat between now and spring training. And I think it will and, and needs to happen. I think it will probably. Yeah, it's you're running out of time, but I don't. Yeah. You know, there's there is still options. There's the guys we're talking about. There's always somebody. Anthopolis just seems to pull yeah. guys out of the bleachers sometimes. You know, you don't even consider. In spring training, there's always guys that come available. But, yeah, I, I don't think there's really. I think you can't argue with the fact that Freddie had. He was having his best season with uh, Donaldson hitting behind him, and I think the, the organization is well aware that um, that's a need. Yeah. So, just got to be patient, you know. See what happens. Yeah. yeah, there's stuff going on, even though we're not hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, even though us writers aren't hearing about it, there's stuff going on because Alex is just like I said, he plays it closer <laughs> to the vest than any other GM, and he doesn't feel the need to let everybody know he's working and doing things. But he is doing things. Have, I mean, they're they're looking under every rock and every possibility. Have you ever had a so, GM that was the, the polar opposite, of Alex, and just blabbing all the time and telling you, you know, everything going on? I mean, that's well, got to yeah. be fun as a writer. The, the previous GM. <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, the Braves really are uh, as as. They've said publicly they're not going to overspend on Arenado and Bryant because they are comfortable going into spring training with Camargo and Riley competing for third base. If that's where they are, that's what they they are they are okay with that. And I, you know, I was talking to um, I was talking to Chipper Jones about that, and Chipper said he has confidence in those guys. He goes, they can both play, man. He goes, we'll be fine if that's what we have at third base. We'll be fine. That's what Chipper said. Um, you know, using the we because he's part of the team still. He feels like it. Um, and always will be, but he thinks they'll be fine at third base. He, he agrees they need to get a bat, but he thinks those guys can handle third. So I don't think they're blowing smoke on that one, that they they are willing and able and very uh, ready to go into third base with those two guys or, or go into the season with those two guys at third if it comes to that, if, if they can't uh, get another guy there. Um, and they don't feel the need to blow out all the prospect capital and Arenado O'Brien to get a third baseman yeah, if they can get a bat in another position. So. But in the meantime, Eric, we have a former king coming to the Braves spring training, a guy you're quite familiar with, Felix Hernandez. Seldom do players sign to minor league contracts draw as much interest and intrigue as the one that the Braves signed last night or yesterday, Monday. Felix, a.k.a. King Felix, the 33. He's only 33, man. It feels like he's 38 to me. (laughs) Because he's been around so long. But he is a uh, Seattle Mariners icon, former Cy Young Award winner. Braves signed him to a minor league deal. They'll pay him a million dollars on a prorated basis if he makes the major league roster. It's a no-risk, potentially high-reward signing, kind of like Anibal Sanchez a couple of years ago. 
If nothing else, the competition for the fifth starter job just got a lot more interesting, don't you think? Yeah, well, it's uh, that was who <laughs> popped into my head right away was was Anibal Sanchez, and and he did it in Atlanta. You know, he he had yeah. his kind of a similar timing too. Um, he had three Very straight similar. three straight years where you're. You know, when you're going through that, the hardest part about turning it around is everybody pretty much writes you off and the opportunity is just yeah. kind of, I mean, if, if you would even told Felix, you know, last spring that he was going to have to sign a minor league deal for 1 million, yeah. he, he wouldn't have believed you, you know, but that's, that's how fast it can happen in baseball. And then, and then it's on you to turn it around. And especially with the way the game's going now, where age is really, um, you know, the, the, the biggest factor of signing guys. And if, if you're getting into your thirties now, you're old in baseball where, you know, uh-huh. you used to see guys 33 years old, sign four year deals, starting pitchers with a four and a half <laughs> year long ago. Right. Um, so he's, he's in a tough spot with himself, but if you look at what Annabelle did, um, I don't think there's any reason Felix can't learn to pitch with what he's got now. It's a big adjustment period. And I was thinking about it. Uh, you know, he had this change up, especially when I was with Oakland, he was still throwing it, but the guys knew it was coming. They had a, uh-huh. they actually had a tip and they had sequences that they knew when to sit on his changeup. They would go up there, they'd sit on the pitch and they'd either pound it in the ground or swing over it. Uh, they just couldn't uh-huh. hit him. And the thing is, is when you have a pitch that dominant, um, you almost get into this, you almost forget how to pitch because you have this get out of jail free card. You could just, anytime he's in trouble, he can just fire a bunch of changeups up there and he's got like an 85% chance of getting a ground ball or a swing yeah. and miss. And that changeup's just not the same pitch anymore. It's, it's, yeah. And it might even be the same pitch, but his fastball just isn't, isn't hard enough to, to command the right, respect right. where everybody's just comfortable sitting on it. But the if he can. Differential's not that great. Yeah. And it's also, it's a tough time to be throwing a, a sinking running type of pitch if it's not extremely elite so he may have to go more towards four seamer throw more curveballs just mix up his repertoire but nothing makes you um more willing to adapt and change and sign in a minor league deal when you've been on guaranteed major <laughs> league contracts for however many years he's been on one 15 years now it seems when you, like when you had the largest contract ever given a pitcher yeah <laughs> what seven or eight years ago and now you're signing for one million yeah. if you make the major league roster and you're still only 33 which would have been like you said which would have been the, the the back end of the prime not that long ago. You're still in your prime at 33. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's just a lot of adjustments he's going to have to make. Um, but like I said, there's nothing will make you more open to suggestions than signing a minor league deal and and walking into spring training without even you know any guaranteed money or not even know if you're going to be on the team. It's it's one of the most humbling things you can feel as a professional baseball player. The uh... Hey, I was I noticed he's wears number thirty four, same as you wore with the Braves, right? Yeah, I already texted a few guys to try to see if I can get a watch or something out of it. <laughs> Didn't they retire that when you left? <laughs> I thought so. So I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll probably I'll tell let me call uh I'll call Freddie and tell him it's okay if Felix wants it. Maybe get a Rolex or something out of it. Yeah, before folks entirely dismiss this signing as the kind of scrap heap pickup uh for the bargain base bargain shopping Braves. Consider what you just said, Annabelle Sanchez. Uh, they signed him to a minor league deal two-thirds of the way through 2018 spring training. I remember when they signed him. I remember thinking, what the hell they signed this guy? And looking at his numbers with Detroit, going, going, this guy's terrible now. He gives up a homer every few innings. Yeah. Why, why would they sign this guy? And uh, Sanchez was 34 at the time. Felix is 33. 
Sanchez had endured three brutal seasons at the time with an ERA over five and a half in that span and homers leaving the park at alarming rates, real similar to what Felix has done. Sanchez had previously been a very good pitcher and once finished fourth in the Cy Young balloting five years before the Braves signed him, but he was never even close to being the all-world type of pitcher that Felix Hernandez was for a decade with Seattle, where he was a six-time All-Star Finished in the, I don't think real people out here in the East Coast and in the National League, a lot of people, especially because that was just at the start of the uh, interleague and Braves didn't play them very often at all. I don't think a lot of people realize how great this guy was. And he was not good. He was great. Finishing the top eight in the Cy Young balloting six times, including winning the award in 2010 and twice finishing second behind some really good pitchers, including Zach Greinke. Well, he was he was uh, the best prospect I ever saw. Yeah, I mean, you came up with him together in Seattle, right, with the Mariners? Yeah, I came up. Um, he was actually the first guy I saw him pitch my first day in pro ball and called my dad that night and said, "I'm not going to be in this league very long." This was the this was extended camp, you know, <laughs> before they broke for Everett. He was going to Everett. He was going to go play in the short season. He was um, he yeah. was 17 at the time, and yeah. I, so your first day, you do your physicals and all that stuff. And then you just go sit in the bleachers and you watch the game. So I'm sitting behind uh, home plate. There's no fans there or anything. It's just rookie ball. And I'm like, let me see what these pro ball guys are doing. You know, and I, I start watching the game and there's a gun right in front of you because they're doing the, the chart and everything. And this guy's just this skinny guy, you know, 96, 97, 98 uh-huh. with a hammer curveball. And guys are swinging and missing his curveball. I mean, it's in the dirt and they're swinging chest high. I'm saying, I don't know who this guy is, but if this is what they're doing in Pro Bowl, I'm I'm going home within a couple months because I have nothing like this going on. And and so, your arsenal, yeah, yeah. So I watched him. And I just, I mean, it just blew me away, man. I ne- I'd never seen anything like what he was throwing up there. And so after the game, I asked some guys. I said, you know, is, is that guy pretty good? And they're like, is he pretty good? He's he's probably going to be the best you know, prospect in baseball in, in a couple of years. And luckily the next day I watched the rookie ball game and they're throwing it off the backstop and hitting homers. <laughs> you know, it's turned back in the regular shit show that rookie ball is. But that first glimpse of it, man, I was like, dude, I got no shot here watching Felix. Yeah. But like you said, he got called up. He got called up at 19. And yeah, that's one thing I, I think we compared it. We could compare it to um, Andrew Jones, how um, guys kind of yeah. have a tendency to, to – Exactly. Their baseball years are different because if he was a starter in the minors when he was 19, they would have capped him at 150, 160 innings or something like that. The season would have ended in September. He would have had a longer offseason. But if I'm not mistaken, I think he was throwing 200 innings at, you know, or he's throwing, okay, he was throwing 190 innings at 20 years old. 2021, yeah, and, and then he quickly got up to 230 and 250. That, yeah, then he hit 22. He went 200 innings, and by the time he was in his mid 20s, he was throwing 230, 250 yeah. innings a year. And yeah, yeah. that's the kind of guy he is too. Though is they weren't competing a lot of those seasons, and he just wants the ball. He just yeah. his day to pitch. He wants to go nine every single time, um, and that's probably the best compliment I could give him. Is he's he is a great competitor on his game day when he gets the ball. He wants to go. He wants to throw a no hitter every single time out. Um, and I know that's still in him. It's just a matter of making the adjustment and figuring out what works in today's game and and how to pitch. And like I said, man, you kind of forget how to pitch when you have a pitch as dominant as the changeup he had, because he started throwing that pitch in 2010. And if you look at that, that's when he went Cy Young. And then he was an all-star five years in a row after that. So 
he still got it in him. He still knows how to compete. He's just got to adjust. Uh-huh. But sometimes getting out of Seattle, you know, getting out yeah. of the yeah. the space he's been, a fresh start, yeah. you know, no no preconceived notions of of anything about him, you know, his work ethic or how he's supposed to pitch or or what what he's supposed to be, and he won't carry that weight of having to be the king anymore. Um, kind of lay a little low and, and take his time, because um, you know as as he struggled last year in the last few years and you're the king, you know, you're the man. Um, every time he pitched bad, there's, there's a whole media scrum and he has to answer all these questions about why he sucked today versus I think when he comes to camp with the Braves, if, if he does awesome, you know, you guys will come check him out and say, you know, how you feel him. But if he sucks, it'll just be kind of like, well, yeah, he, he had a rough one. We don't know if he's on the team or not. And that sometimes just taking all that pressure off can be a huge breath of fresh air too. And that's in that regard, that's similar to Anibal too, because Anibal was in Detroit where he had had been great a few years, and at the end he was just a disaster. And uh, he had that, you know, he switched leagues, comes over here, no expectations. Everybody thought he was washed up and done. You know, like you said, he's at spring training, and we're going, hey, Anibal Sanchez is pitching today. Let's see if he makes it out of the second inning. And you know, it's just lowered expectations, and sometimes that can be can be huge for a guy just to come over and pitch and not worry about all the stuff on the side and, and your reputation and what you used to be. Yeah. He had a lot of, uh, he had a lot of drama the last few years, um, in Seattle too. Um, yeah, they had kind of, you know, switched a lot of the, there's new managers and new, new people in the front office, just a lot of things changed. And like I said, when he, when he was in, he was the best pro, I think he was number one prospect in baseball, at least a few years. Yeah. Um, and he's he was King Felix when he got to the big leagues. Yeah. Uh, they, he already had this nickname in the minor leagues, King Felix, right? And he got he's and how got about the whole section fan section with the t shirts. Yeah. Well, long years. before that though, he had special treatment, you know, and, and they and the organization uh-huh. adopted that because it's you know, it's a cool nickname. It all played and right. he was their best right. prospect. The way it the way it played out was, you know, your what happened was he was the same guy for all these years. You know, he he had the same routine. He did all this stuff, and then once he started to struggle, they started kind of criticizing his work ethic and and saying stuff in the papers. And reports were slipping out that he wasn't happy. Um, uh-huh. Indirectly, it wasn't it wasn't coming straight from the the um, front office. You know, in quotes, but all the media was was talking to people and getting these little. Someone would talk off the record and say, "Oh, he's not he's not a hard worker. He's this or he's right. that." And there's just a lot of drama that didn't need to be there. And I felt like he deserved a lot more respect based on, you know, what he'd accomplished to that point. But with, with the front office turning over and, and um, you know, a new manager and uh-huh. stuff, it baseball is right. about what have you done for me lately? So they right. never, they never rode with him when he was going 250 right. innings and putting up a two ERA. So they come in Back now, in the house. right. And then you see his work ethic or what he's doing now. And it's easy to just criticize this guy you're seeing now at, at the yeah. lowest point of yeah. his career. Um, yeah, I just, I thought that, you know, a lot of it didn't really play out very fairly, um, for him or what you'd expect from a guy that you nicknamed King Felix and treated like a God for 15 mm-hmm. years, all of a sudden he's struggling and, and he felt like he got his back just turned on him by the organization and, and treated like an inconvenience. Um, I think that was a, that was a lot for him to handle mentally and, and kind of shocking, you know, he, he thought everybody just loved him for who he was, not the numbers he was putting up. And I think he learned that lesson last year. Let's before we get too excited about it. And I don't want to. I don't want to make people think that we're expecting him to go out there and uh, you know and 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 compete for the Cy Young. It's it's important to note he was one and eight with a six four zero ERA and fifteen starts last season. That's more than three runs higher 
than his previous career ERA. It's four runs above the AL leading 2.14 ERA he had back in 2014, which was his last great season. Um, The ERA had been in a steady climb since then, as have the hits and the homers allowed. He gave up 17 homers in 71 and two-thirds innings uh, last season. Again, that's a lot like Anibal Sanchez before he came out here. This And this is a guy in King Felix. That's what he used to do. One of the things he was so great at, keeping a ball in the park. Yeah. This is a guy who allowed 17 or fewer homers in more than 200 innings six times in his career, including 14 homers allowed in 232 innings back in uh, 2012. His rate that year, 0.5 homers allowed per nine innings was less than a quarter of the rate he's allowed last season, 2.1 last season per nine innings. So, you know, we said the 100-mile-an-hour fastball he had when he debuted as a teen, it's been down about 10 miles an hour the last couple of years. He's averaged just under 90 miles an hour the last two seasons with the fastball after, you know, averaging about 96, 97 for a while, for a lot of years. Uh, And yet, like you said, there's still something about this signing because everyone will be curious to see how he looks the first time he throws off a mound next month in Florida, the first time he faces a hitter. Because um, he's not that far removed from being King Felix. No. And for a decade, I mean, I, I he was as big in Seattle, just to give people perspective here, he was as big in Seattle as any of the big three were here in Atlanta. Is that not correct? He's, you know, a lot. He's basically the the best pitcher they've ever had. Uh, I think yeah. a lot of people say, you know, Randy Johnson, but the, Felix is, if you look at the the Mariners leaderboards, as far as hit the career yeah. with Seattle, he's, he's, I don't know which ones they are, but he's got like every record, you know? Um, yeah. Randy wasn't fully formed until like the end there. Right. The right. End of his time there. And he was still walking a ton of guys. And the other side of it was, uh, he was the only bright spot for the organization for right. his entire career. Right? He's right. never pitched in the playoffs because um wow. they didn't really so he was the only reason really that people watched Mariners baseball here in Seattle um is it was King Felix Day every 5 days you know if if he yep. had to start the house was packed the next day it was just you know 20,000 10,000 something like that but the whole ex- sections of people in those t-shirts cheering and, you know and that's a big part of I think why he was f- feeling kind of disgruntled and disrespected last year was because he he's a guy that grinded out the rebuild like we're talking yeah. about and took the ball every day. He was throwing, you know, his team was out of it, and he's still throwing the last game of the season trying to go nine innings. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of what I'm talking about is, like, the competitor he is and stuff. He could have easily and, – and and that might be what's catching up to him now. You know, that could be catching up to him, the 238 innings, 249 innings, 230 in innings. And your team's out of it in July. Um, there, there was yeah. a lot of years where they just – they weren't really in it, and Felix still just kept taking the ball every day. Um, so to get, to get kind of thrown under the bus a little bit, I think is, is how he felt in his mind, uh, that, you know, that's not really fair, but he's the type of guy that if he, if he can do what Annabel does, man, this group, the, his personality is going to fit right in with the Braves. Yeah. Those guys are going to That's what I was him. wondering, how you think he'll do with the young guys. I know Ronald Acuna is going to be, going to love having the Venezuelan hero there at he, spring training. Yeah. And Felix is awesome. He's he's one of my I, I go way back is with he, him. Um I see I used to see him in the off seasons here still because uh, we both live here. But um I was actually on vacation in Cabo yesterday with a guy um Ryan Cook that that was in Seattle briefly uh 17 uh-huh. and 
you know, one of the big things you learn about a clubhouse or, or veterans and stuff is how they treat the guys that are kind of up and down. Um, you know, they right, come up and right. sometimes a veteran won't even say hi to you. They won't even acknowledge you exist. And it's a, it's a pretty sh- shitty feeling as a young prospect or a young guy or guy that hasn't put up numbers. Nothing lets you know that you ain't shit more than a guy that walks right by you and doesn't even say hi to you. That's, you know, uh-huh. the king of the team or whatever. Um, and I said, you know, how was we, Felix just randomly came up in a conversation because we both knew him. I said, did you like Felix? He goes, oh my God, man, that guy's unbelievable. He treated me so good. He bought me some kind of bag. He made me feel welcome all the time. He'd invite me up to sit with him and, and just talk shit. Yeah. And, you know, Cookie's not even a Latin guy. So that shows you that Felix is cool yeah. with pretty much everybody on the squad. But right, right. Um, for me to hear it from a guy that that was kind of at a, a tougher point in his career, Cook was a former all-star with the A's. So I'm sure he had some respect, but um, kind of an up and down guy at that point and was was really struggling to to get his feet back under him after some surgeries. Felix could have easily just been like, hey, hey what's up, dude? And he took him in and welcomed yeah. to the team. And and it, the impression he made on Cookie in just a, a matter of, you know, a month or two uh, was yeah. that says a lot about him to me, too, because it's easy to just, you know, ignore those guys and not really go out of your way to make him feel welcome, but that's the type of guy he is. He, uh, just to recap his career for those who are not familiar, he broke in with the Mariners in, uh, 2005, August, 2005 at age 19, which was a year before you debuted with the Mariners at 21. Uh, you pitched for them for three parts of three seasons, 06 through 08. In that three year span, Hernandez was 35 and 32 with a three, nine, six ERA, 516 strikeouts in 582 innings. All right. Then you left. You came to Atlanta on waivers, uh, and Hernandez really began to take off. Felix began to take off. Took it to another level that next year. Went nineteen and five with a two four nine ERA and thirty four starts at age twenty three. Finished second in the Cy Young that AL Cy Young that year to Zach Greinke with the Royals. Uh, King Felix led the majors in wins and and led the AL in winning percentage that season. Pitched two hundred thirty eight and two thirds innings. That was the first of four straight years when he totaled at least 232 innings. Most impressive season was probably 2010, the next year, yeah. when he won the Cy Young, had a majors leading 227 ERA in a AL best 249 and two thirds innings. Get this, he faced a thousand and one batters that year <laughs> and allowed 194 hits. Yeah. That's 7.0 hits per nine innings. Led, led the AL hits. Yeah, and that's wow. the type of workload. You know, if you see a prospect yeah. make their major league debut at 24 years old, they've never done anything yeah. even close to that. You know, they maybe touched 170 yeah. innings in double A one year. Yeah, um, look at Freed and Soroka last year. Yeah, 250. And and he's – every year, and after that, 233, then 232, then 204. Yep. Maybe he got hurt or something that year. And then he threw 236, then 200. Um, yeah. And it's that's another side of it is it's easy to criticize, um, you know, if a guy's working hard enough or willing to change or whatnot. But there's a point you get to where the mileage just racks up so high that, you know, it's it's just it seems like it doesn't matter what you do. And if he gets he has to get to a point where he figures out what his best arsenal is now and his best best pitch selection is now. Um, but this uh-huh. the, the 100 mile an hour fastball is not coming back. And the adjustment period um, that he's gone through could be the point where now he's finally ready to um, pitch without being able to just blow somebody away or just throw that unhittable changeup. And if he works out, you know, if, if everybody would have said the same thing about Anibal, you know, you said it yourself. Is why are we even sign this guy? He's giving up homers. Right. He's, 
if he gets to the point where he gets to what animal, whatever, I don't know what adjustment animal made, but where he's throwing 136, 160 innings with a 2.8 and a 3.8, that's a ton of value. And and not to mention the way he can rub off on on his uh, teammates too. Um, I don't, you know, this could be, this could be something. Do you, you, did you say that the, I saw a comment from you before where you said something about the change up, relying on it so much, probably, uh, uh, maybe have contributed to his shoulder issues. Is that, is that accurate or? Well, that's what, so that's what happened. This is my self-diagnosis, but that's a lot of what happened in, in my career was in 2012, I started relying heavily on my sinker. Um, I Uh threw it, I threw it 70, 80% of the time and it was the same concept. You know, it was almost like a get out of jail free card. Anytime we weren't sure what to throw, I could just throw a sinker and throw it down and away to a righty or down and into a lefty. And it was just out every time. Um, right. But as you see the ball move and you start to learn to manipulate it like that, it's almost like a screwball, um, arm motion where you're getting inside the ball Uh and really over pronating to enhance that movement. Um, on the sinker. Yeah. And I, I learned how to uh-huh. do that, but you also find yourself chasing more yeah. and more and more. And if a guy tries to throw a nastier curveball, they might just pull down really hard or they might cast it. But when you try to throw a nastier sinker or changeup or a pronation pitch, um, it's yeah, you're really over pronating and, and getting inside the ball. And you you don't have a lot of leverage when you turn your, your hand over early. Um, so I think that that just took a beating. My arm just took a beating doing that. And it, it caught up yeah. to me really quick. Cause in 2013, I had Tommy John. And then yeah. when I got to Oakland, Huddy was uh, a sinker baller like that. Ended up. Yeah. And Huddy's, Huddy's arms attached by a thread. You know, I think yeah. they, they did MRIs on Huddy and he didn't have big contracts at the end of his career, but they basically told him like, you're, you're one throw away from yep. <laughs> never throwing again. You know, every, it's but just, he had to throw that sinker. Yeah. Yeah. Your shoulders just shredded. Um, so kind of similar when I got to Oakland, I had just had nonstop shoulder trouble. Um, uh-huh. and it, and I think that, you know, I said this last year when, when Felix was really struggling that it might be something that could help his overall arm strength. Uh, not to mention today's game, the sink and, and, you know, changeups and they're not as good at pitches as they were before. Cause everybody's trying to swing under the ball and swing up at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so four right. seamers are a better pitch to throw in general now, but that was what my kind of own diagnosis on why my arm fell apart so quick was, was the sinker and how it changed my mechanics and how I leveraged, um, uh, with my lower half and, and the direction of my delivery. Cause I started always trying to get inside the ball and kind of push and pronate it. And if you look, um, his sinker isn't like a, or his changeup isn't like a, you know, 80, one mile an hour Chris Medlin changeup that just floats yeah. up there. It was more of a yeah. sinker. It was a power changeup. Yeah. It was sometimes some years he was throwing 91, 92 and his, his changeup was 90, 91. Um, so the yeah. reason guys couldn't hit it wasn't the back and forth on it. It was just that his, uh-huh. he was doing something where he was able to throw a changeup at 90 miles an hour with the movement of a changeup at 80 and guys would just pound it in the ground and swing over it. Um, and it, that's kind of my Johnny Venner's theory is anytime you're throwing a pitch, nobody else can throw might not be yeah. that good for your arm. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> anytime you're throwing a pitch that everybody's lining yeah. up behind you to see, you know, how, how that's, the hell you're throwing this thing. It's, it's yeah. Carrie Wood. Yeah. Look at Carrie Wood. Exactly. You're doing something unnatural and, and yeah. it's going to, it's going to catch up with you. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good point. Um, 
Yeah, because usually when you watch video of those guys and you're going, holy shit, how's he making the ball do that? You don't see him doing it many years. <laughs> That's the next question is why can't Maddox anybody else? Maddox is the else? exception. Yeah. Maddox is the exception, but he's the exception to everything. Yeah, he is. Yeah, there's always, you know, there's always, there's freaks in the game and a lot of guys that get away with yeah. doing kind of things a little different, but. Yeah, um, RJ throwing that slider he had, but he was six foot 10, you know. And Maddox's effort so level never really got into a danger dangerous territory. He was, I think he's Maddox could have thrown ninety four right. if he wanted to, but he was just completely comfortable yep. s- sitting, you know, upper eighties, low nineties, and making his pitches. Yeah. Um, if he was doing like what he laughing, was doing, yeah. just maxing out at ninety six, um, I don't think we're talking about him. It was it was his it was his yeah. ability to sit there and and throw at a level that was comfortable for his arm, and that's that's another side of it. As and you Glavin start losing, was the same way, you know. Yeah, and as as you start losing velo like Felix has, you have a tendency to start trying to throw everything harder and chase that velo and get it back. And you know, a guy like Maddox would have, if he was throwing eighty two that day, he would have just said, "Okay, <laughs> that would have been the uh-huh. that would have been his con- the the peak of his concern was like, all right, well, I'll just make the ball move more." And you kind of have to have that mindset as you get a little older. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. From 07 to 14, he allowed less than one homer per nine innings, including, uh, like I said, 0.5 homers per nine in 2012 when he gave up 14 homers in 232 innings over 33 starts. Yeah. He also led the majors with five shutouts that season, 2012. How many current starting pitchers can claim a, can can ever claim us to have had a six season stretch as good as this one? There's a couple, but not many. From 2009 through 2014, King Felix was 86 and 56 with a 2.73 ERA, 1.099 whip, pitched seven shutouts, 18 complete games in that six-year stretch while totaling 1,358 strikeouts, 356 walks, only 96 homers allowed in 1,394 innings. So that I, for six years, he averaged 226 strikeouts, 59 walks, 232 innings pitched over six seasons. Finished first or second in the side three times in that span, fourth and eighth two other years. Yeah, I think Verlander's the only guy um, that you could even kind Kershaw. of make that. Yeah, Kershaw, um, Verlander, Kershaw. That's guys. About it. Yeah, and Kershaw's going through his own his own adjustment period oh, yeah. now. But oh yeah, he's past that period now. Yeah, he's there's just really good now, not great. I mean, like he was. Yeah, and you look at guys, you know, like I think Verlander's a good example because he'd had. He'd had some injuries, and then he'd had one bad season. He had a bad season for yeah. him, his standards, and then um, he had kind of a, a year where he was hurt. And then he comes back and, and turns into the guy he is now. So, you know, it's – Analytics City, Houston. Yeah, and his, I think, you know, he made a lot of adjustments on how he takes care of his body. Right, right. Um, remember a guy I played with, Mark Lowe, was telling me he went to – he was trying to go to this place Verlander had gone to, some kind of baseball ranch somewhere – um, and they just taught him all about how his spine and shoulder and everything needs to line up and, and what exercises to do. And I think he completely adjusted, you know, how he takes care of his body and, and his, his whole routine is his weightlifting. And he cut back on and did more mobility, whatever it was. Um, he made, he made uh-huh. the necessary adjustments and it's, it's always fun for me to watch guys, um, see what they do to try to come out the other side because, uh, uh-huh. you know, you're also not used to, you're not used to struggling when you've been as good as Felix has or, or Verlander was. Yeah. And it's, it's a big test of um, your willpower and, and who you are deep inside to see, you know, if, what kind of sacrifices you're willing to make to, um, yeah. 
come out the other side of the darkness because when it, when yeah. everybody's writing you off, man, it's it's easy to feel really shitty about yourself and and get wrapped up in your struggles and it's it's hard to keep your chin up. So guys that do it, um, I think p- players that see a guy struggle for a year or two and come out the other side, um, you can't have any more respect from from former players than when you pull something like that off. Well. He got a uh, seven-year, $175 million contract extension in February 13. It was the largest contract in history for a pitcher at the time, and he was 26 then. Uh, in 14, 2014, he had a career-best 2.14 ERA, uh, 0.915 whip. I mean, this guy was crazy good back then. Led the AL in each of those categories. Gave up just 170 hits in 236 innings that year. Uh, was a Cy Young runner-up again. This time finished the second to Corey Kluber. And, I mean, he could have easily won three sides. If you didn't look at, if you look at the seasons Grinky and Kluber had in the years they beat him, he he was good enough to have won three sides. Yeah. And then you're talking about basically a lock for the Hall of Fame. You win three sides, you know. Um he also finished 10th in the AL MVP ballot in that year, one of five seasons in which he received MVP votes. Like you said, he was all they, they had for a while. Yeah. I mean, he was their star. Yeah, and the, the the funny thing was the year that he won the Cy Young, he was 13 and 12. Yeah, but it's he kinda, was the first guy to not have big wins in a Cy Young season. Yeah, and the year that, you know, the year he finished second to uh, Grinky, he was 19 and 5. Yeah. So it was like, you know, the next yeah. year, uh, if we're not going to say. It was DeGrom that one year, though, before DeGrom. Yeah, and and Grinke was 16 and 8. So that was kind of back when there was that big debate over whether pitchers pitcher right. wins mattered or not. And he had right. less wins than Grinke. Grinke wins it. So the next year was, you know, I'm 13 and whatever. I didn't, I, You know, yeah. not a good win-loss record, but that was kind of. 12, the, I think. That was kind of the big change um, in the way. Yeah, baseball was voting for all that stuff. Felix was kind of a big part of it because you looked at the numbers he put up that year, yeah. and it was just it was he, bonkers. He had to be so much better than everybody else to win it that year, and he was. And he just was that good. Yeah, but that was the last uh, fourteen. Was the last real King Felix Hall of Fame type season. Yeah, even though he did go eighteen and nine with a three five three ERA, finally got run support, thirty one starts, and two hundred one innings in two thousand fifteen. Uh, including his last two shutouts, which raised his career total to 11 shutouts and 25 complete games. Uh, but the four seasons since then have been injury-plagued, a lot of shoulder issues. Um, Hernandez has gone just uh, 25 starts and 153 innings in 16, 16 starts and 86 innings in 17, 28 starts, 155 innings in 18, and then career lows last year of 15 starts and 71 and two-thirds innings. So, uh, you know, after posting, he had a still solid 3.82 ERA and 25 starts in 16. After that, his ERA climbed to 4.36 in 17, a career worst 5.55 in 18, and then another career worst 6.40 last year. So that's a jump of two runs since, you know, in the last two years. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing I was looking up. Uh, this is pretty amazing. After going 154 and 109 with a 3.16 ERA, in 359 starts from 2005 through 2016, he is 15 and 27 with a 5.42 ERA in 60 games. 59 starts over the last three seasons, um, and in the decade from his first full season 
in 2006 through 2015, he in the 10-year stretch there, he averaged 218 innings and 206 yeah. strikeouts per season for a decade. Yep. 8.5 strikeouts per nine in that 10-year span with uh, 3.4 strikeouts per walk. So, I mean, yeah. Even if he's not great, even if he's not even good enough to win a spot in a rotation, you got to think what he is experience, his vast knowledge, along with that of Cole Hamels, who will be in a rotation barring an injury. They're gonna have they're gonna have a lot of experience for these young guys to draw from this year. And they missed that last uh, spring with Anibal Sanchez not not with him anymore. I think uh, Julio was a leader, but he didn't talk a whole lot like these guys did. He was more leader by example. Now you got some guys that can really talk and have those kind of. Uh, personalities outgoing like that. I think that's going to help. Yeah. And he could be, he could be a good guy for Acuna to talk to too, because you know, he's going to have his respect. Um, And to be honest, man, Felix had swag before it was allowed. You know, (laughs) Felix, Felix was strutting around at 19 in the big leagues when the big leagues was full of 30, 32, 33 year old grumpy ass, you know, (laughs) crusty veterans. Very flamboyant. Yeah. And he was, he was kind of the, he was the first guy that, that I ever saw really act like that in the big leagues. Um, Really entertaining. But he never, you know, he never did. There were certain things he, he, he knew how to do that and, and not piss Uh anybody off and. I think now it's it's easier to do that and not piss anybody off. But yeah. he'd be a good guy yeah. for Acuna to have because yeah. he could say, "Look, man, I was just I was I was in on this this mindset too. I was I knew I was the man, and I was letting people know." Um, and so, if a guy that's been through all that already says, "Like, here's the boundaries, or here's how you kind of walk the line with yeah. with doing things, you know, whatever way baseball accepts," um, you know, he's going to have Acuna's respect, and and it's somebody that could just he Acuna can go to and be like, "Hey." You know, as yeah. far as even if it's as far as being a huge prospect or a superstar at a young age, he's going to have so much advice and things he learned that he can pass on to him and kind of give him some shortcuts to to how to handle the fame and, and everything going on with him. Yeah, there's some similarities, too, with the I mean, here's a guy who had the nickname King Felix, yep. but he was able to pull it off with opposing teams. They didn't they didn't mind the way he handled himself, you know, even as, as flamboyant as he could be. One, it helps when you're that good, when you're the best pitcher in the league for a while. But it just seemed like other teams still didn't really resent him for it, even with the name King Felix. It's like other people almost liked, you know, other teams liked it. People admired it. liked him. It, but it was the way yeah. he did it. You know, he still, he'd come out under the field and he had his whole show going. He'd still tip yeah. his cap to the other dugout and, you know, give the right, umpire right, a hello. Exactly. Um, it was just, it was kind of like his way of saying, hey, no offense, but I'm about to do me. Um, so he, he really about walked to shove. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm about to do my thing. So but, you know, <laughs> don't get pissed about this. I'm about to do to you. And tomorrow, you know, I'll still be, I'll still say hi in the outfield, but I'm about to shove it up your ass. <laughs> you know, he was, but he was just that kind of guy. The Braves going out again, they don't have to look far back to see a similar sign. And it worked out better than they could have hoped. Animal right. Sanchez, uh, in Animal's last three seasons with Detroit from 15 through 17, he was 20 and 30 with a five, six, seven ERA and 88 games. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> and that included 68 starts. Sanchez allowed 85 homers in 415 innings in that three-year stretch, 1.8 homers per nine, which is even worse than the 80 homers Hernandez allowed. 467 over his past four seasons. Uh, 
So after Sanchez got released by the Twins in mid-March 2018 at spring training, the Braves signed him to a minor league deal with a prorated $1 million salary for any time spent on the MLB roster. Same as Hernandez's deal, his salary that he'll make if he makes the Braves MLB roster on a prorated basis. So there's no risk here. There's only upside potential. Uh, and like Anibal, he's a guy that they think can really help the young players. Anibal was really good with the young guys and t- passing along everything, paying it forward, passing along everything. He it, Julio, Julio gave tons of credit for the season Julio had a couple years ago when Anibal helped him deal with a lot of stuff. So that I, that he could have a similar effect on these young guys, I think. But uh, yeah, everybody, including myself, thought the Braves were dumpster diving when they got Anibal Sanchez. Then he goes out. Proceeds to post a 2.83 ERA in 25 games for the Braves that year, including 24 starts. He overcame an early season hamstring injury and played an instrumental part in their winning that division title that year, first division title in five years. And he even started game two of the division series against the Dodgers. So, I mean, he surpassed all expectations, obviously. And uh, Sanchez parlayed that into a two-year, $19 million guaranteed deal with the Nationals for his age 35 and 36 seasons. Uh, the first of which he just completed, 19. He was a 3.3 war pitcher this year for the Nationals. Went 11 and 8, 385 ERA and 30 starts, 166 innings. Started and then he made a games. start in yeah. each of their postseason. Yeah. Huh? He started he made a start in each of their yeah. postseason. Yeah. Yep. He had a, remember that, what he took a no hitter deep into that yeah. uh, <laughs> I think a game one of the LCS, right? Yeah. Um, Gave up one hit, one walk, and seven to two thirds in scoreless innings against the Cardinals. Set the whole tone for that series. You know, another thing, just that in general, a change of scenery can be really good for guys too. And he's been with one organization, you know, his his whole career. Uh, and yeah, you know, people thought the Braves were dumpster diving when they picked me up. I remember, <laughs> I remember walking yeah. into the clubhouse and uh, yeah. Josh Hall was talking to Ben Acri, and they didn't, they didn't I know that. <laughs> they, yeah, everybody did, and that's that's part. Sometimes that's nice because there's just no pressure at all, uh, and you just get right. to just fresh slate, and everybody thinks you suck, so you can just work on yourself and not have to answer all these questions. But I remember walking in on the two clubbies talking shit about me. <laughs> you see who we look at this guy we picked up. He's got a 20 and a half ERA and they didn't, they didn't know who I was yet. So I just kind of, I walked back out and kind of gave them time for the subject to change and then just walked back in and got my jerseys and stuff like that. And I actually became really close friends with both of those guys. And we always joke about it, you know, how, how unexcited they were um, when the Braves acquired me. But it's, who was that? Uh, Josh and Ben. Josh Hall and yeah, Ben, yeah. ben Acre. Right, they, right. they still give me shit about it. Um, <laughs> but it's the type of thing where, uh, you know, you, you, you change that, just a change yeah. in atmosphere, a change in culture, a change in, you know, focus where you're trying to win. Uh, no one's going to be, it's not going to be every, you know, in spring training for the Mariners last year, every time Felix started, there was a 45 minute segment on the radio the next day. There was 800 wow. questions for him to ask about what's going on. Yeah. They're not going to have that with the Braves. No. And it's, it's demeaning. You know, it hurts to have to keep talking up. Oh, I suck again. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I don't, I don't have any yep. answers. My body's falling apart uh, to have to keep going through that kind of just, you know, it hammers down the point to yourself too. Um, it's hard to stay positive when you're getting asked, negative questions you know constantly so i think that change of scenery could be huge for him too um you know you mentioned you mentioned uh andrew jones because i was looking at this um it's weird i got to thinking how felix hernandez uh feels a lot older because he's uh than 33 because he debuted so young and it reminded me of andrew 
and how it felt with Andrew. Because Andrew debuted the same thing at age 19. Uh, and Andrew was an elite player for about a decade before he began to slip at age 30 and then falling off quickly, just like Andrew Jones uh, or just like uh, Felix. Except the difference being Andrew, who debuted at 19, he was already elite at 21. And he won his first gold glove that year, had 31 homers, 90 ribbies, 836 OPS in 98. That was his third season in the majors, second full season. Felix was still 14 and 7, a 392 ERA in his age 21 season, his third season, second full season. So Andrew was already at that elite level then. Felix was still another a year away from that, a year or two away. Um, two years later, Hernandez jumped up to that, you know, with that 19 win, 249 ERA season. But uh, uh, when he was side runner up, but Hernandez was one of the premier pitchers in baseball basically for six seasons. And then his ERA climbed to three and a half, and he was just very good, but not what he was before. Andrew won 10 consecutive gold gloves, was the best defensive center fielder in the game for a decade. A lot of people think the best or one of the two or three best in the history of the game, uh, certainly the best of the modern era. He OPSed 833 or higher eight times in that decade, that gold glove decade, and he hit more than 30 homers seven times during his 10-year gold glove streak with at least 26 homers in the other three of those years. So, um, which is my long way of saying the Hall of Fame's today. It was in Andrew's age 30 season after he went to the Dodgers. That's when his OPS dropped from 724 in his last year with the Braves to 505. His games played went from 154 to 75. Both were career worst. So he was a part-time player from then on after leaving the Braves. He never had... 20 homers, 50 ribbies, or 350 plate appearances any of his last five seasons after leaving the Braves. This, But this from a guy, people get forget, who averaged 34 homers, 103 ribbies, and 155 games while producing an 847 OPS during a 10-year stretch from 98 through 07 when he won 10 straight gold gloves. And the reason I bring him up, other than the Felix Hernandez comparison, is the Hall of Flame class is going to be announced later today, and Andrew is certainly not going to be in it. Larry Walker's got a good chance of joining join Derek Jeter. Jer, Jeter's probably going to be unanimous. But Andrew has no chance, and he has a long way to go before he even gets to halfway of the 75% that's required. And what I'm amazed about, and you can probably comment on this because you played with the guy, man, more so than me. What I'm amazed about is the number of people who question me for not voting for Omar Vizcayle compared to the number of people who question folks for not voting for Andrew Jones, which isn't nearly as many. Not many seem to get asked why they seem why they didn't vote for AJ, for Andrew, but especially those who vote for Vizcayle and don't vote for Andrew, which I don't get at all. The reason that I've heard from the ones who do that, they say that despite Vizcayle only made three all-star teams in a 24-year career, had 45.6 B-War and a 688 career OPS. He played more games. That The reason they cite is he played more games than anyone else in the history in the history at shortstop, and he won 11 gold gloves in 24 years. Well, listen, Andrew won 10 gold gloves, 10 straight, and had 434 homers, nearly 1,300 ribbies, an 823 OPS, and 62.8 war in 17 seasons. A 17 more war than Vizcal in seven fewer seasons and nearly 800 fewer games. Yet Omar was on 
37.8 and 42.8% of the ballots in his first two years on the Hall ballot, Hall of Fame ballot eligibility. Same two years as Andrew's on it, his first two years of eligibility. And Andrew got 7.3 and 7.5% of the ballots that coincide with Vizquel's first two years. Explain that. I don't get it, man. Well, it's tough because that's that's kind of the way that I don't, you know, for me, longevity is a huge thing. And we talked about yeah. how um, Andrew just put his work in up front. But when you look at the numbers and, and you look at, you know, what he did offensively during that time span and, you know, you look at Fiskel's got 80 homers in his career. Um, yeah. Andrew did that, what, two years? Yeah. But, but Fiskel <laughs> was also winning a gold glove at, at 39. Right. And, right. and I right. think. Which is amazing. It's amazing. Uh, longevity for me is is something that I really respect and, and I think should be taken into account for sure because it's it's just so hard to stay on the field. As you see with guys, you know, we're talking about right. Felix right now who his only – the only thing stopping him from being it is that he just kind of – he can't – he's doesn't feel, he's not pitching the same, you know. And if he turns this around and threw in three good years, maybe he'd, he'd start the conversation up about himself again. But – right. Um, the amount of games and everything, I, I think they should both be Hall of Famers. And and my main thing yeah. is with with Andrew Jones, um, I didn't play with him. I missed him. But people, right, you were, people were still talking about him as the best mm-hmm. they'd ever seen in center field, and they wouldn't even have they wouldn't even have a debate, you know. And I, and I'm yeah, not talking like Smoltz, yeah. I'm not talking some usher, you know, that there's some guy selling Cracker Jacks. I'm talking, yeah. you know, Terry Pendleton, uh, Eddie Perez, these guys that that have watched decades of baseball been on the field for decades of baseball and they're saying this is the best i've ever seen it's not even close i won't even have a conversation about anybody ever playing better center field than andrew jones um when there's things like that being said about a guy uh i i mm-hmm. think that that he needs to be honored and 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 that needs to be taken into strong consideration, even if you don't have the longevity. If you're playing the game at that high of a level where people are still talking about it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was 10 years. It wasn't six, you know? Right, yeah. It's ten, but 10 years of being the best at something that everybody's ever seen. Uh, right. You know, like if, say, Mike Trout retired today, people right. are still yeah, going to say maybe Mike Trout's the best baseball player ever, the best they've ever seen, the best this. Um, or – a guy like if Josh Hamilton could have been who he was and stayed healthy, people still talk about Josh Hamilton taking rounds of batting practice and, and going around the world, uh, you know, even right. with maybe a nosebleed or something or whatever's going on with him. But yeah, the thing is, is when people are talking about you with this legendary status and, and that you played the game at a level they've never seen before. And it's, it's big leaguers of the level that I'm talking about, like guys like Terry Pendleton, Eddie Perez, and there's just no debate at how great you were. Small chipper. And it's not like what Andrew hit four hundred something homers. How many homers did he hit? Oh yeah, four hundred. Yeah, so he well just over four hundred. He did it in such a short time span. Thirteen hundred ribbies. Yeah, it's not like he doesn't have a great. It's not like the only thing he's bringing to the table is his defense. But Omar Vizquel is going to yeah, get in fit, he, because of he his had defense. 50 homers, man. Right. Andrew Andrew was just a, one of the best players in the game for a shorter time span. But the contributions, when you look at like the WAR and all those numbers, it's like yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's fair to just say, well, because he fell off a cliff at thirty, thirty-one. Yeah. You know that that he's not a Hall of Famer because he no put disrespect up- to Vizcale, but he made three All Star teams in twenty-four years, dude. Right. I mean, and Andrew was the best center fielder in the game. Yeah. 
Yeah, so if you're going to honor Smith, defense, you know, you can buy defense Smith, with I understand because he, he Ozzie Smith changed the shortstop position, you know? I mean, he was so far and away, uh, he was so ahead of his time and all that. And and and, and I understand Ozzie Smith and he won the gold glove year after year after year. So I'm not going to put Vizcayo in Ozzie Smith's category because he didn't change the shortstop position. And Andrelton Simmons, to me, is better than than Vizcayo was at shortstop. Well, you that's know? what people are talking about now is if, if Andrelton's putting together a Hall of Fame career. And it's it's the same concept, man. People talk about Andrelton as he's the best shortstop they've ever seen. Or yeah, he's right the best I've with, ever seen. They say he's either better or right there or right below Ozzie Smith. And if Andre, if the same thing, if Andrelton played another two years and then he really struggled and fell off, you know, I I don't know how I'd feel about if he's. I would yeah. think this guy's a Hall of Fame. I, I, I hope people don't forget about him. Right, you don't want that. You don't want that story to die because you got a reporter, you got you got players, you got people saying this is the best shortstop I've ever seen. Yeah, the guy should yeah. be honored. Yeah. Uh, real quick, wrapping it up. Uh, Derek Jeter is going to be unanimous, uh, probably. Uh, so far, all the ballots that are in, and, the, and it's going to be announced tonight. So far, all the ballots, is, is, he's unanimous. So he would be the Yan- longtime Yankee captain. Would uh, he would be the second unanimous selection in history, but the second in as many years, and the second from the same team after his teammate Mariano Rivera, of course, became the first unanimous selection last year. Um, yes, it's appalling and absurd because I get this on Twitter. How can he be the first winning anchor, Nick and Willie Mays, baby? Okay, it's appalling. It's absurd that there weren't at least seven or eight unanimous choices before right. last year. <laughs> Babe Ruth, Willie yeah. Mays, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, Walter Johnson, Ty Cobb, Lou Gehrig, Roger Horn- Rogers Hornsby, and, of course, our namesake and the true home run king, Hank Aaron. Those are the guys I came up with just off the top of my head who should have been unanimous choices. There might have been one or two others. Uh, but this is a different era. So to compare it, is it's not it's pointless because most ballots are made public now. They weren't back then, and if there had been social media back in the day, it you can, ima- it. can you even imagine a writer trying to explain no. on, to the Twitter audience why he didn't vote Babe Ruth or Willie Mays <laughs> or Hank Aaron on his ballot? I'd it like wouldn't have happened. It. I'd love to see it. It wouldn't have happened. So that's why it's apples and oranges. There's really no reason to even say how can he be first ballot, Derek Jeter, if you know Willie Mays or if Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth wasn't. So it's just. It's just different. It's totally different now. So, by the way, it appears Shillian's going to remain under 75%, which will make a lot of people happy. Uh, I vote for him, but I don't like doing so because I don't like his personality and things he says or does at all. Uh, But I vote for him because I don't let that stand in the way of what he did on the field. And once again, Clemens and Bonds are going to slide well below 75%, uh, or, or not well below, but they're going to slide below 75 after being well above 75 in the first quarter to a third of the ballots that were submitted. Many of those are the younger guys who get them and make them public. And some of the older guys, the ballots start coming in later. And year after year, those guys dip below 75. So um, we're going to see. We're going to see many of the younger writers are willing to look past the PED connections or just kind of throw their hands in the air and say they're they're not going to try to figure out who did what during that era when PED usage was rampant. I'm not one of those voters. I've, I've, like I've said, I've never voted for them. I will not vote for anybody that I know used steroids or I feel certain used PEDs. I'm just not going to. You know, the, other people can. I, that's their prerogative. I won't. And 
if there is proof, because I've been asked about this, if there's proof or believable testimony from others who know that Hall of Fame trajectory Astros guys now on the Astros team used buzzers uh, to have pitches signaled to them, you know, or other technology, I probably won't vote for them someday. But I'm going to have to look at that over the years and see how see how that comes out. See, do we know it was if it was a certainty that they did? Then that's going to be something we have to consider. Obviously, that's going to be really weird when it comes time. It is going to be know, weird because you don't know. It's going to be weird if Altuve was doing it. Then you don't know how many how many years are affected exactly. by it. But if it you know if it yeah, got exactly. shut down and he keeps up, he keeps putting up numbers. You yeah, know, I think yeah. With Bregman and Altuve, the the, yeah. the stuff that's coming out. That's or, the thing. It's if they this, the next. Four years will tell the story. If they start hitting 265, yeah, exactly. then you say, all right, exactly. well, <laughs> might have had a little help. And that's where that difference in PEDs to me, because they're not changing their body composition right. and adding humongous amounts of muscle mass, you know, like Barry Bonds did, which is going to give you a huge advantage year after year if you're already a gr- the greatest hitter in the game at that time. So that's where it's apples and oranges to me. If, if it's one year, I'll be able, it's like, it's like Pete Rose. I know he cheated, or not cheated, he, excuse me, he did not cheat. I know he gambled on baseball, and I know that's strictly against the rules, and a lot of people aren't going to vote for him because of that. But if he was on the ballot, I'd vote for him in a heartbeat. Okay, So yeah. that's where I'm different. I'll I, vote I for that guy. I know he did. broke the rule, <laughs> but he didn't cheat. Right. And as I was talking to Chipper about this, and Chipper said, is there any proof, or, or does anybody ever said he bet against his team to win? And that's, a, to me, a lot of people said don't matter. To me, it, it matters a lot because if he wasn't betting against his team, if he was betting for his team to win, then, yeah, it's against the rules, but he's not doing something, you know, untoward. He's trying to win even more, if anything. Pete just so, got a little bored. <laughs> That's all exactly. it was. Pete just got a little bored. I mean, bored. he's a gambling addict, yeah. obviously. That's what he, look at him now. That's what he does every day in Vegas. He wanted to spice things sits up in a, a casino. little bit. <laughs> yeah, he sits in a casino for five hours, signs his name, his autograph, every day, day after day, and he gambles legally. Yeah. Still, yeah. after all I, he's been through. I, I think a lot of, most players don't really look at what Pete Rose did and say, you know, this yeah, I think a lot of guys can understand that transition now to playing and 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 especially having an addictive uh-huh. problem or something like that. I think most guys are like, yeah, he's still a Hall of Fame baseball player. Forget what he did, and he was even doing just, that when he was managing. Yeah, just forget like said, what he did as a manager. Just induct him as a as a player only. But exactly. Most guys don't give. You know, it doesn't. When people ask me about that, um, it doesn't even phase me that he gambled when he was managing. You know, just look at what he did as a player. The guy should be in there. If it was up to the players, it He'd wouldn't be even be close. <laughs> a lot of, I think there'd be a lot of nine different out votes. of ten players that I've asked about Pete Rose say, "Oh, he belongs in the Hall of Fame." Yeah. They look at his hits total. They go, "That's ridiculous." Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous what he did. I don't care if he wanted to spice up a few games so. when he was done playing. <laughs> hey, speaking of uh, the Astros, last thing here: former Stro Brian McCann, our buddy, of course, a member of that 2017 World Series championship team um, that was found to have used the sign stealing system using technology as well as a trash can. He's retired now. He's not employed by any team, at least for this year. And so far, he, like most others on that team, hasn't commented at all on the situation. BMAC has told his agent to tell people he's not commenting. So I've talked to friends of his who say he won't even talk to them about it, at least so far. And I know you're a good friend of his. What do you think of this mess as it pertains to BMAC, Eric? Because uh, I feel bad. I understand why guys who were on that team and are now playing elsewhere or they're retired, 
I understand why they're not commenting because they probably don't want to be viewed as a snitch or want somebody throwing right. their former teammates under the bus. And some are probably just embarrassed or ashamed by the whole thing. But man, it's tough to see a good dude take a beating that BMAC has taken on social media. And I know he doesn't do social media, but I, be- I believe he's probably seen or heard plenty of what's being said about him, kind of like Freddie did. Um, and as another friend of, of his friends told me, he gets why Brian isn't talking, but he wishes he'd say something, anything. How do you feel about it, man? Uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where he just doesn't want to touch it. Uh, nothing. I don't know what positive. Yeah. Nothing positive can come out of him even addressing it. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you're probably right. It's that if, if no matter. Satiate Twitter fans. Right. And, and clear his own name, you know, or, or whatever. But yeah, it's, and he it's going to do that. He's not, he doesn't care. He doesn't care how is, he's perceived in, in that light. Yeah. Uh, it, those were all his teammates, right? And yeah. And he obviously benefited from it and got a World Series ring, you know, whether he was in on it or not. Um, yeah. Which I'm never even going to ask about ask him about it because I don't want to know. Uh, it's, right. It's just what what positive comes out of him saying, oh, yeah, well, they were doing it, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, then he's throwing friend, all his teammates under the bus. It's one of those things where that's why it's so rare that um, Fire spoke up. Because there's kind of yeah. a code amongst yeah. teammates, you're going to be looked at as a snitch and and somebody that's throwing guys under the bus, and and you know the guys are embarrassed, and it's it's an ugly situation. I hate that he's wrapped up in it, but um, I don't care what he did. To be honest with you, I love the guy so much. Yeah. I'd I'd forgive him for anything. Um, <laughs> I really would. Um, yeah. But it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a situation where you just you just what there's just no reason for him there's understandable he can't come out on top you know he just he can't come out on top with with anything that's happening and um yeah it's it's rough though i don't i don't really envy his position right now but i'm sure he's not sweating it too much yeah by the way i had one prominent former player tell me the astros players are lucky some of them aren't facing suspensions or even lifetime bans so while some players or fans might just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, hey, cheating's been going on forever, there are plenty of guys, past and present, players who believe the Astros and probably the Red Sox took things far beyond that acceptable form of sign stealing, which we talked about, and that using technology and, you know, in a complicated system to decode signs every home game. Yeah right through the postseason is far different than a teammate standing at second base and trying to decode the catcher's signs and pass them along to his teammates. Well, and that's the thing is I made the poker, you know, uh, analogy. I kind of comparison to poker where um, if you don't know there's a camera looking at your hand, uh, you know, in poker, then it's, 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 if there was somebody on the, on your team, you know, you're playing some kind of card game and there's somebody on your team uh, standing behind an opponent, he's obviously going to hide his cards. It's, it's the, it's the matter of nobody really gave, thought to it that someone would would stoop to that level right. and just have a camera zoomed in on the um on the catcher's signals it's a good point uh, it's it, that's good where analogy. people people really can't uh understand that that what the difference yeah. is between a guy standing on second and decoding your signs while you fucking you can see him <laughs> you know he's yeah. he's right behind exactly. the pitcher when you're given the sign so it's it's a difference of there's a hidden camera in center field everyone uses one sign or something like that and then even it got to the point where Everybody started moving to multiple signs with nobody on, but there's even rumors that there was some kind of algorithm that could crack the sequences in a matter of you know four or five pitches, and and a, a computer program could be used while zooming in on it. And the more you hear about all this stuff, and the more advanced it gets, and the level they took it to, 
um, it's, it's really kind of just against that code and, and, you know, nobody really thought anyone would stoop to that level, but if they did, you know, that's why everybody's so pissed off. And I think it was Clevenger from the Indians kind of put it best. Um, just talking about, you know, minor league guys that get called up and they get one shot, you know, and, and, uh-huh. and you can come up to the big leagues and it could be your last shot. It could be your first shot. Uh-huh. But it can it can mess with your head in one in one way, you know, getting hit that hard. But what yeah. if a guy got his his own his last shot or his his first big shot or his only shot yeah. that he's going to get? You know, maybe he's a, yeah. a fringe guy having this huge year and he's got a chance to get into the big leagues and build some confidence there. And he happens to make a start against the Astros and yeah. give up, you know, seven runs in four innings. Well, he sucks ass he's now. Crushed you know? mentally. Yeah, he's crushed mentally. <laughs> he have any he idea sucks what ass. Doing. He knows he doesn't believe in the big leagues. The organization thinks he's he's a wuss. You know, like he can't handle yeah. it up here. And that guy's there. The thing is, is that cheating really a good point. Man. It can ruin guys' careers. It can affect guys' careers. And yeah. I can't imagine Forever. sitting at home and and knowing. Man, I got back-to-back starts against the Astros, and I was on the roll yeah. that year. Yeah. And I, I just couldn't figure out why they're hitting these pitches. And now I'm, now I'm changing tires or something like that. Looking back at my yeah. big league career, and you find out they had a camera zoomed in on the catcher's signals. I yeah, mean, nothing yeah. will make your blood boil more than that. So that's why everybody's so upset. That's why there's, you know, the most shocking right. thing for me about it has been the amount of players that have gone. Guys on different teams like Marcus Stroman, uh, Tommy Yes, Pham. I saw Stroman. So I was going to bring his comments up. Guys are taking to social media. There's talking to yeah. the two. You know, they're doing interviews. Guys are saying some really nasty shit about the the Astros on paper or in public. You know, it's it's on yeah. the record. Normally, it's you know, you get all it these, took was one or two guys to start it. Too, everybody's you know? in on then the they're party all like, now, and everybody's pissed. Yeah. So if you got torched, why wouldn't you say it? You know, I mean. If you can look at it and tell yourself, you know, it wasn't because I was just bad. I mean, they were doing something that day. I, you know, if you're confident in that, then say it, shit. Yeah. Well, a lot of guys do. It's it's kind of, for me, it's every bit as big as steroids. Uh, you know, that that advantage. Mm-hmm. That was one guy, yeah. Alex Wood, said that. He said, I'd rather face right. a guy on steroids than, well, that's what we all think. I mean, I, I would much rather yeah. do that, too, because... Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a reason. There's more than one pitch you can throw, I and mean, it's if you if right. you could you can only still throw outthink a guy on steroids. Yeah, you know, you could still fool them. You it's, pitch it's, locations, and that's the main quote everybody makes about um, steroids is, "Oh well, you know, trying to defend it, you know, or, or Barry Bonds' greatness. You still have to hit the ball. Well, yeah, you right. do still have to hit the ball, but if you know what pitch is coming, that's for me, that's an even bigger yeah. advantage. And you know, that's kind of the opposite point. Well, you know, I think that these are bigger than. Um, steroids, yeah. knowing what pitch is coming, and even if you, you know, like that ball Altuve hit off of Aroldis Chapman, I think that's been like uh-huh. one of the most suspicious things. And when I saw it happen, I thought, you know, he must have been sitting on that, or maybe Aroldis is is tipping the pitch. And I went back yeah. that night and I looked at if Aroldis had given up any more homers on sliders, and he'd given up two, but they were the other way, kind of excuse me, emergency right, swings. Right. Nobody, nobody put a swing on his slider all year like Altuve put on that ball. And one of the main reasons is, as a lefty, when you're throwing a ball coming into a righty, his ball cuts. Um, they always have yeah. to respect the fastball. But when you throw a hanging slider away from righties like that, they're never on it. They pop it up. They swing under it just in that location. Now, Tuvik goes and gets an up and away hanging slider and rips it to left center field. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the ball was destroyed. It wasn't like, you know, oh, I got a mistake and I stayed with it. It was perfect timing. His foot was down at the right time and he just shit all over it. Um, but you watch things like that and it's, it's, it's pretty damn suspicious, especially when he comes running in holding his Jersey like that. 
I, yeah, it says don't tear it off. Yeah, <laughs> it says it's because he's shy. I had another former player point out uh, uh, the homer, postseason homer that Bregman hit on an inside, great inside fastball. How quickly he turned on it. Yeah, so that's just not no- normal. You you would not turn on that fastball that quickly inside if you didn't know it was coming. And I've been watching Bregman the last few years and just thinking, holy shit. He hits balls nobody hits. How do he get to that? You know how uh-huh. you watch it happen, and you just you think you're witnessing this greatness of. Now man. you want to know if they were if you're going to go back and look if they were all at home or not. <laughs> right? Yeah. Did he do anything like that on the road? You know, you watch that stuff happen. I remember I've watched him get to balls the last few years, and I've just I've just thought, holy shit! I don't know how he stayed back on that changeup or how he got to that ball. Yeah. Um, and I think the ball he hit off a of Grinky in the in the uh, postseason. Um, or maybe it wasn't off Grinky. I can't remember. He had a home run in the postseason that was on a pitch that was just like, shit, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know how he got to that. How he got his barrel to that without knowing it was coming. Um, and then it was probably you, the same pitch this guy talked to me about. Yeah, there's just there's balls he gets to inside that yeah. he just shouldn't be able to. It's almost a bat path that you'd have to know the pitch was coming yes. and completely sell out into to get your barrel there on time and and time it up. But um, and look ridiculous if it's not right there. Yeah. Yeah. And he did, you know, Garrett Anderson used to do that. Garrett Anderson used to once in a while swing like belt high at a ball in the dirt and he'd look yeah. stupid, he but he was just swings. Man. Yeah. But that's because he was just a billion percent committed to the pitch he was sitting on and we're not, yeah. not afraid to look dumb. Uh, that's really the only way to hurt, hit a few of the pitches that, that we've, I've seen Bregman hit the last few years. So yeah. the whole thing's fishy, man, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's going to be, it's not going to end anytime soon. It's going to be, there's going to be stuff coming out for so long. Just more and more stuff's going to be leaking out. And guys are going to be talking all on and off record. It's going to be interesting, man. Yeah, it's, it's the only anyway. guys I trust right now are the guys that are coming out verbally and, and saying stuff. You know, the guys that are um, – the other teams, like the Yankees guys haven't been saying too much, I don't think. But right. everybody's right. kind of getting accused of this and that. It's it's going to be interesting to see how, how deep it goes. But I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think – and thank God – the one thing you can say for a guy like Stroman, whether you like him or not, uh, when a guy says something like that, I think you can probably be pretty confident that he's pretty clean and yeah. he's been doing things the right way because you better not have any skeletons in your closet if you're talking shit like that, man. That's what I mean. You know, it's, I think the only guys you can clear of this are guys that are verbally yeah. just saying it out loud, yep. you know, fucking, you know, calling them cheaters and, and getting mad about yeah. it because everybody else, you know, you never yeah. know. And, and, you know, that's the other thing talk. we talked about is is catchers have been using multiple signs with nobody on, you know, for, for years. Yeah. So you don't know how long this has been going on in the game or who else could get implicated. And if they started suspending players and guys started pointing at each other and saying who else was doing it, it'd be just so ugly for baseball. Yeah. You know, it'd be – you could find out there's seven teams doing this and it just – it'd be a really big black eye for the game. Yeah. Uh. That's funny. People, I've had people say, "Well, why can't the play the catchers just change their signs?" I'm like, <laughs> if if they're like you, like you were just talking about, if they have a camera out there, you're going to be changing signs constantly. That's all you're going to be thinking about is changing signs. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's going to have to be an ongoing thing throughout the game, every game. So, well, why do you think they had to limit mound visits? Yeah, you exactly. Know, everybody was trying to change the signs all the time anyway, because there's so much paranoia. And you're using all these advanced sign signals and stuff, but yeah, yeah, it's you know that's the thing is if that's that's the main thing I don't think people are grasping is if there's a guy on second base you could see him and obviously he can see the signs, but when it's a camera, you know you just assume 
nobody's looking and, and let's get this game flowing. So you just put down one and point it to the outside part of the plate and the guy throws a fastball away. If you put down two and the trash can starts getting banged, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of, it's just a, I'm not a big, uh, at, at usually an advocate for more technology in the game. I think for the most part, it's better with less technology, but yeah. that's why I'm an advocate for this idea of using the little earpiece, man, because they're so small now that it's not going to be cumbersome for anybody. And if you can just have your catcher tell you in your ear what the pitch is, it would eliminate all these problems. Yeah, but do you want to sit through when the Bluetooth signal dies in the middle of, and the you know what I mean? Because <laughs> technology banging on his ear, going, yeah. "I can't hear." It. Yeah, you know, technology's. Well, yeah, you got to make sure it's it's pretty foolproof, <laughs> and know, that somebody can't uh, pick up your Bluetooth signal. You have to be on a dedicated <laughs> yeah, channel you, or whatever it's called. You got all these Ivy League dudes; they can probably Frequency. figure out how to hack a Bluetooth connection too. <laughs> Like I said, I'm not usually an advocate for more technology. I think the main thing is that the penalty just has to be so steep. And I think that's why it wasn't as bad for the Astros because it hasn't been a thing yet. Um, It will be the next team. The penalty for the next team, there has to be, you, you honestly, you have to threaten, you know, 162 game suspension or lifetime bans for players. Uh, yeah. lifetime bans Players for any... Players have to be told, you got immunity last case, but you right. won't next time. Well, and that was another thing that the Astros had, had said is that you know no one had showed them a policy that said you can't do this. Right. That's but like, they came out... Yeah, yeah. The Red Sox don't have that excuse because they were doing it it's, you know, in you still 2018 know. after that. Yeah. So I'd love to use that excuse. If my wife saw some girl sitting on my lap. It's the, oh, but, no one told... <laughs> you know, you never showed me a policy that, that I couldn't do this. You know, something like that happens. You know, you got to have some kind of common sense of there's just certain things that, that are not right. allowed in the, in the game. Right. And, and everybody kind of understood that without being shown a policy. Like injecting so. yourself with Androstendial. No, one, no one handed me a paper that said I couldn't, you know. It's, it's <laughs> like it's, it's such a bullshit excuse. Yeah. All right, man, that's it. We've gone longer than we anticipated, but uh, that was great stuff. It was good getting you to talk about Felix because you you know a lot more about him than probably anybody down here does. So, uh, And hopefully uh, people are interested because if he makes a team, that's going to all be really relevant, good stuff. And it's going to be interesting to watch this spring, no doubt. Yeah. Know? Does he have a good chance? I don't know. I would have said Danibal Sanchez had no chance, and he ended up being a huge piece of that team. So – and like we said, this is a guy that was twice the pitcher Annabelle was at one time. So yeah, we'll it's see. it's going to be interesting to watch, and it's going to be good for him to to you know change the scenery up a little bit. All right, that's seven fifty five is real out for the week. We'll be back a week from now or sooner than that if the Braves do something important enough for us to go back on the, uh, and, and do another podcast. So we'll see. I think it something could happen at any time, but then again. Been saying that for weeks, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> yep. Let me know. <laughs> 755 is real, and we are out, and the Hall of Fame is uh, going to be announced tonight, Tuesday night. Perfect. We'll talk to you uh, next we'll week. Talk to you later, man. All right. All right. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.